Welcome to Do It For The Gram and Enneagram podcast with your host, certified Enneagram coach, Milton Stewart, where we do it for the Enneagram, not Instagram. We make moves to improve our lives and those in our community. This episode is going to be amazing because I have an amazing person on here with me. We've been in some certification classes together and we are hilarious. We're kind of the people that you don't put together in class or sit by each other because you know we're going to get in trouble, but because of a lot of fun, right? And so I have a really amazing person on here, a really good friend, and her name is Pega, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. Go ahead, Pega. Thank you, Milton. Yeah, my name is Pega, and my last name is Cadcodian. I noticed you didn't even try. I did not try. I'm not going to lie. I didn't want to mess it up, and I was going to allow you to do it, you know? That's all good. That's all good. And yeah, as Milton said, we've been in some certifications together. I'm a certified Enneagram coach and uh, practitioner as well. And in addition to that, I have several certifications in neurolinguistic programming as a master practitioner and trainer of neurolinguistic programming, hypnotherapy, mental emotional release technique, as well as certifications in diversity, equity, and inclusion work, certifications in Puna, which is an ancient Hawaiian shamanic practice of working with energy and empowerment, as well as theta healing, which is it's a spiritual technique really for working with energy and doing healing work. I recently was accepted to a graduate program at Maharishi International University. Yes. Yes, thank you. To get my master's degree in consciousness and human potential. So, you know, I'm just all about human behavior and helping people achieve their potential and feel empowered and inspired and uplifted. I also zero in on resilience as a focus. I have a whole seven pillar approach to cultivating resilience, which you can find on my website, coachpaga.com, shameless plug. <laughs> but we're here to talk about something else today. So that's me. Yes, yes, yes. And, and what type are you, Pega? Tell the audience, what type are you? Yeah, so my uh, personality sits at point eight with a very strong seven wing which is why Milton and I get into so much trouble together when we're in class because he's a seven with an eight wing and I'm an eight with a seven wing. Awesome, awesome. All right, let's go intro music. love the Enneagram? Are you serious about growing and being liberated? Do you love to learn and grow in a safe community? Well, my Kaizen Community Enneagram program is perfect for you. I teach 12 weekly classes on Thursday night. I am only taking around 15 people. I would rattle off more details and all the benefits, but I'm pretty sure you would rather read them and get back to this episode. So simply go to kaizen-enneagram-community dot mn dot co or check out the show notes or find the ig page bio with the link tree or go to kaizencareers.com to find out more information learn and grow in safe community with others who love the enneagram sign up while spots are still available hope to see you there 
So this is super interesting. I always enjoy asking people around what's going on with them and their specific, maybe interesting identities and what they bring to the Enneagram in their space. So as a type eight and as a woman, what are, I would say, some of the challenges that you've experienced just being a type eight woman? What a great question. Well, I think that type eights in general very often get misunderstood. And being a woman in our world and in our society whose personality sits at type eight in particular, we get relegated to the category of abrasive or bitchy very often. And it's because we're outspoken, we're opinionated, we have very strong personalities, we don't take any crap from anybody, and we speak out. We speak out not only on our own behalf, but we are very big on speaking out for and standing up for social justice, standing up for people who we feel are being victimized or don't have voices or can't stand up for themselves. And for me right now, in particular, with everything that's going on in our political climate and the threat to women's rights and the very real possibility that as a woman, I might have my right to my agency over my body taken away has me pretty lit up and pretty fiery, in particular around that topic. Thank you for sharing. And when it comes to anything social justice related, it takes a lot to get me off my soapbox. <laughs> That's an eight. There's a fire. Yes. And sometimes if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, that fire can scorch. So that's really on me to be mindful of, you know. You mentioned eights being misunderstood. What is one or two ways that you know, because your body knows that eights are misunderstood? Yeah. So I know because, you know, our whole thing is about feeling alive. And sometimes in an effort to feel alive, we will overexert energy. And for us, it feels very normal. But to be on the receiving end of it can feel a lot like you're getting your hair blown back. And, you know, sometimes our very good intentions get misread as overbearing, aggressive, abrasive, or just kind of helping when we weren't asked to help, right? So it's like volunteering your help, or in my case, very often overgiving. Someone may not have even asked for X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, oh, I'm gonna give you this, this, and this, and this. And oh, here's three other ways that we can, you know, solve this thing. And the person's like, whoa, could you take a beat? And the other piece of it that's tough is, and you can appreciate this as a seven, my processing speed is fast. Oh, yeah. And... I get things and I'm like ready to move to the next topic or the next subject when other people might still need a little more time to kind of think through a process or, you know, feel heard. You know, I might be like, yeah, I got it. Let's move on. And they're like, but did you even hear me? Did you understand what I said? Like, did it land? And I'm like, yes, very much so. So that's challenging. And the other piece of it is our level of impatience with the <laughs> different processing speeds. Because it's like, how do you not get this? Like, let's go. So learning to just breathe. Well, I mean, I'm always in my body and I can feel aspects of my body lighting up when I start to get very impatient. But grounding is very important. And, you know, just really listening is important because if we actually slow down as eights and listen to what is being asked for or what the particular situation needs, we would give a lot less. I think we could tamper our energy a little bit based on you know who it is that we're speaking to and practice flexibility, which very much plays into what we're going to talk about later with NLP, but we'll wait to get into that. 
So those are some of the ways that I think AIDS get misunderstood. The other piece is everyone thinks that we're these big, like hard asses. Because <laughs> the truth is an Enneagram 8 will argue for sport. To us, it's not an argument. Like we're just, it's fun, right? It's like, we're just having banter and we can get misunderstood as like being argumentative or constantly wanting to fight. And we're like, it's not a fight to us. It's just fun. And we get misunderstood as being these like hard asses. But the truth is that underneath all that brass and bravado is super duper squishy, big hearted, sensitive little being. And all that brass and bravado was what we developed to survive because we were wounded or rejected when we were little, or at least that was our perception. Right. And by the way, everybody listening, Pega had no clue the questions coming up. And I love doing this because it's kind of a challenge, but obviously Pega likes questions like this. She's like, throw it at me. Let's go. Let's go. I can take it. For someone who is wanting to relate to an eight, wanting to be in friendship or relationship or just connect with them, what are some tips or advice that would best serve them in trying to relate and connect with an eight? That's such a great question. So for an eight to respect you, you have to stand your ground. As an eight, if I'm engaging with someone in a dialogue or a new relationship, and I get the impression that this person could be easily pushed around, I mean, I'm an evolved enough human being that I'm not going to push you around, but I will immediately lose a little bit of respect or you'll lose a little bit of credibility with me if you don't stand your ground. Meaning if we get into a conversation and I have an opinion and your opinion is different than that and you don't openly express that or challenge my thinking, I'm not as interested in moving forward. Right. The other thing to understand about an eight is that as much as we overexert energy and sometimes come off as fiery or abrasive, that energy doesn't get received by us very well. So if someone comes at us with a lot of aggressiveness or fire, I always use this metaphor of it's like putting a wounded predatorial animal in a corner right? If you back a wounded lion into a corner (laughs) and try to approach with aggression, it's not going to go well for you. No, it's not. No, it's not. And so it's a little bit like that where, especially if an eight isn't present, like if the presence has gone out the window, which very often in a situation like where an eight feels backed in a corner or threatened, the presence does go out the window because now you're just operating from like the instinctual part of your brain. Oh, yeah. You know, what you're going to get is you're going to get a fight from an eight. The way to approach an eight is actually with directness, yes, but diplomacy and softness. The thing that eights have to work on is how to approach with greater softness and sensitivity with other people. And that's because that's what we need and like as well. Oh, I love that. The last thing you just said reminds me of when I used to have students who were eights especially girls, young girls who were eight, who had a strong personality, who people wanted to classify or label in different ways or whatever. And one girl in particular, she loved Mr. Stewart (laughs) because I understood her. She would say something really raw and like something that would like just cut deep. Some kid tried to make fun of her because of her weight and she made the boy cry. Mm -hmm. That sounds about right. And I said, listen, I understand what you're saying and I get it. We can't be putting people down. She said, I didn't put him down. I put him in his place. I said, oh, Oh, yeah. That's my girl right there. This is fifth grade. She's saying this. Yes. And so what was cool is that we were able to have a sidebar conversation and I was able to be very direct with her. 
I wasn't shining her or anything like that because, I mean, she was defending herself. And, ooh, she did put him in his place in a way. She really did. It was hilarious, but I had to be like... I get that. I work with CEOs, okay? I work with white, cisgendered male CEOs. And, you know, they're very used to being in charge. And they're very used to being the boss. And sometimes I got to put them in their place to do my job. And thank God I'm an Enneagram 8 because I can do that because I can match their energy, which, you know, for a lot of those fellas, it like earns you street cred and respect. You know, they're like, okay, you can't be messed with. So, you know, you're fifth grader. I get it. I've been known to make grown men cry. Right. Not on purpose. (laughs) She was walking out of class one day and uh, I think she said something to me or something. And her teacher said, don't don't say that like that. She was like, it's fine. Mr. Stewart, he gets me. And that was so cool because she felt that Somebody could understand and be able to be there with her, be direct with her. And when you can be direct and they know you care, you can see some of that, like you said, that gushy, soft, tender side that is there. It is so there. It's so important for an eight to feel seen and understood because we are so often misunderstood. And it's so funny you said that that teacher told her like not to say something like that because the worst possible thing you could do with an eight is to boss them around or to try and control them. I mean, I very often like laugh like good naturedly and say, I'm not particularly employable. (laughs) Like that doesn't mean that I don't have qualifications. It just means I don't like people to be the boss of me. And if something, if a rule doesn't make sense, I'm not going to follow that rule. I like following rules. I will. If the rules make sense, I'll follow the rules for sure. But you know, there's a reason we're called the challengers because we challenge the status quo if it doesn't make sense to us. We challenge, you know, what we see as not working. We get off on challenging. Right. (laughs) And we also don't like to be pushed around or bossed around or controlled. Because that's kind of our Achilles heel is that we are motivated by our need to feel like we're in control. Oh, that's that's such good stuff. Oh, my goodness. Makes so much sense. And you're probably one of the few people I can say that maybe has just about or more certifications than I do (laughs) in this space. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) But that's that seven ring, Milton, you know, I'm like, more, just give me more. Oh, I know. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about, because I'm very interested, because when I met you, you talked about NLP, and I had no clue what you were talking about. (laughs) I had no clue at all until I got to know you more, and you started explaining more. So can you break down what is NLP, and how do you use it in conjunction with your Enneagram work? I love that. What a great question. So those letters get thrown around quite a lot, and you know they stand for neuro, which is the mind, linguistic, which is language, and then programming, which is how we're hardwired. In a really simplified way, neuro-linguistic programming is using the language of the mind, both internal and external to help rewire, reprogram oneself or someone else, if you're doing client work, to help them get better results in their life, right? So results could be on any level, in their relationship, in their spiritual practice, in their career, in their health and fitness, right? So neuro-linguistic programming is based in some neuroscience, but the where and what of it is that Richard Bandler and John Grinder, who are the founders of neuro-linguistic programming, Back in the 70s, they were looking at people who were very successful in the field of psychotherapy and psychiatry and hypnotherapy and wondering, 
why is it that they get results with their clients when others who had the same background, same education don't? So they started to look at people like Virginia Satir and Milton Erickson and Fitz Pearls and all these other folks who were getting really incredible results with their clients. And they started to examine and model or kind of break down what these people were doing linguistically. And they were able to codify through modeling what these people were doing with their language to get results. And so a big portion of NLP is based in hypnotherapy and the work of Milton Erickson. Now, there are several, several people in addition to those I mentioned who've contributed to the field in a profound way. And the cool thing about NLP is that it's always evolving because people continue to contribute to the field and it's not a fixed model. And there's a lot of misconceptions out there about NLP being manipulation or used for, I don't want to say evil, that's kind of a strong word, but used for self-serving reasons. Now, what I say to that is, look, a tool is a tool. Your intention of what you're going to do with that tool has everything to do with whether or not that tool is used for good or not. So if I have a hammer, I can build a house or I can hurt somebody with that hammer. Same is true of NLP. Can NLP be used for manipulation or, you know, sales tactics that are less than integrous? Sure. But if it's your intention to do good, then what's the difference between manipulation and influence? There's one word to answer to that, and that's intent. So if your intention is self-serving and not ecological, which is a term from NLP, meaning good for you, good for the other person, good for the world at large, if it's not ecological and your intent is 100% self-serving, well, that's manipulation, sure. But if your intent is to do good, to help, to be of service, then really what we're talking about is influence. Now, if you're selling something that you believe in and you know that it's a service or a product that could really help the person that you're speaking with, well, is that manipulation or is it influence? You know, your intention is to do good, to be of service. You're yielding greater influence. And so NLP really, the way that I use it with respect to combining it with the Enneagram is, you know, my model of resilience or my definition of what resilience is really goes hand in hand with the goal of using the Enneagram as a model for personal and spiritual growth, which is to come back to your essential self, right? Your personality structure is something you developed to survive in the world and it can serve you or it can be of detriment to you. And my definition is, or definition of resilience is our ability to come back home to our essential self, that part of us that's eternal, the part of us that is who we really are at our core, outside of our personality structures, our roles and responsibilities, our jobs. So who are we really? And that is the goal of, of using the Enneagram with respect to personal or spiritual growth, is to operate from that place of presence and essence. Well, the NLP is a set of tools and techniques that can help you do that. So if you are someone who is operating from your trauma, operating from your wounded self, how are you going to do that inner work, right? In the Enneagram, there's a lot of talk about inner work. Well, what's the mechanism that you're going to utilize to do your inner work? There's a lot of different ways you can do that. NLP is a set of tools and techniques that I found are very efficient and effective at doing that inner work releasing baggage, right? Those inner programs that help to perpetuate 
the negative or downside of our personality structures, well, you can use NLP to get rid of that baggage that's causing you to behave a certain way that's not useful for you. You can also use NLP to heal old wounds, to release trauma, to let go of generational baggage or even like lifetime baggage, you know, past life baggage, whatever your model of the world is. So it's the how-to, I always say, of a spiritual practice. Spiritual practices are wonderful. They're often very theoretical. They don't necessarily give you the how. I find that NLP and the Enneagram go hand in hand. They're incredible tools for how to have a spiritual practice, how to evolve. And there are other modalities that I bring into this work that make it embodied NLP, which is the name of my company, in that very often NLP is taught from a cerebral place. It's mindset. Yeah. And I'm here to say, Your unconscious mind is not just your brain. Your unconscious mind is the entirety of your soma, your entire body, nervous system, and everything that is your human experience. So to approach NLP from a purely cerebral place is short-sighted and limited. But if we can approach NLP from an embodied place and recognize, oh, we have to be in our bodies for this work to actually make sense, I'm getting some snaps from Milton then this tool can be something that we can really utilize in a more effective way. And it can have a lot more depth to it than simply, you know, use language techniques to make a sale. And the other piece of that is that I think the way NLP has been taught historically has been very masculine, right? So the founders of NLP were all men. There were very few women contributing to this field. And as someone who was a trainer of NLP for several years for a training company, I saw that there was a huge gap that needed to be filled with respect to women in this field and the feminine energy. And now, mind you, feminine energy has nothing to do with gender identity, right? Men can have feminine energy. Non-binary people can have feminine energy. Feminine energy is about receptivity. It's about ease. Feminine energy is about being in the body and less in the head. So I asked myself, how can I evolve this field? And the answer I got was, oh, bring everything else that I do that has to do with embodiment, that has to do with spiritual evolution and spiritual work into the practice of NLP and learning NLP. I don't think NLP has to be taught in a conference room at a hotel room where you're freezing for four days and getting the information fire hosed at you. I mean, I learned it that way. I didn't love it, but I learned it that way and I used to teach it that way. And, you know, hey, more power to you if that's how you want to learn it. Cool, right? It's just we want different strokes for different folks. But if you're somebody who wants to take your time, experience NLP in a slow, measured, embodied way, where then you can also not only have an experience of it, but really begin to live it on the day to day, then, you know, my approach is, I think, the way to go. It's me again, in another one of those funny commercials to remind you that the Kaizen Community Enneagram program is having open sessions. I do two cohorts a year. One starts in January, one starts in August. In this program, you will feel heard, seen, and connected. You will leave the program with way more knowledge, a deeper level of growth, and some lifelong friends. To sign up and learn more, go to kaizen-enneagram-community.mn.co or see the show notes or the Instagram bio link tree. All right, back to the episode. 
So before we talk about your approach and maybe how you're doing it, which is different, which I love, I got super excited. You start talking about embodiment. You start talking about our soma, the growth that we do, the work that we do. The you said the word inner work gets thrown around quite a bit. Understanding, because I find this honestly with most people, because our culture and the way we're designed, we're so in our heads about everything. We think about it like our spiritual practice in our head. It's not in our bodies, in our hearts, mixed in our presence with our spirit and essence. It's so often in our head. And even Enneagram work, a lot of times it's a bunch of thinking about it, but not feeling it, not inviting it. So I absolutely love that you said that because here's the thing that I think people have to understand. If we are to truly do inner work and truly heal, truly locate trauma, truly locate pain, truly be able to let things go, we have to go in our bodies because that's where a lot of this is stored. Yes. To your point, what is an emotion? It's energy in motion. And where does that emotion go if not processed or released? Where does that energy go, right? Energy is neither created nor destroyed. So where does it go? It's got to go somewhere. So if you don't let it out of your body, well, then guess what? It's hanging out somewhere in your body. And that's where a lot of illness comes from. I mean, heck, the CDC, which is a government agency, has now agreed that about 90% of all illness is related to stress. Well, what's stress? Emotions. Yes. And the thing about it, like you said, when we don't do something about these emotions that are trapped, that are lodged in our bodies in different places, every time something that reminds us of whatever created that emotion, it triggers us. And we repeat unhealthy, egoic type of patterns that do not help us to release us from it, right? Exactly. And from an Enneagram perspective, what happens? We drop in our levels of health or we go to that stress point, or we go to the security point with the people that we're close to and start expressing the shadow side of that security point with our loved ones. Yeah. I mean, getting triggered is not fun. And and those personality traits that very often people talk about with respect to the Enneagram numbers suddenly start to express themselves. And it's interesting because I think if you're somebody who's just been introduced to the Enneagram from like a Instagram meme, or, you know, you're just watching a YouTube video, then you're just looking at behaviors going, oh yeah, this is, I'm an Enneagram this or I'm an Enneagram that. Firstly, you and I both know you're not an Enneagram number. You're a lot more than that. Your personality structure happens to sit at a particular point on the Enneagram. And, you know, if you're just looking at behavior, is the fastest way to mistype yourself. (laughs) So true. Looking at your approach, because you mentioned earlier about some of the old school approaches, and I find this in a lot of different fields, and I'm glad we're diversifying a lot of these areas with people who aren't all white men starting things, right? So we're diversifying these fields. And so what are you doing with NLP and how are you doing it? And What do you particularly maybe have coming up that people could look at and maybe learn about or maybe get into? Yeah, love that. Thank you. Four years ago, when I parted ways with the NLP company that I was teaching for, I asked myself, firstly, do I want to keep teaching this stuff? And the answer was definitively yes. I loved it. I think it's their incredible tools. But I asked myself, do I want to keep teaching it the same way that it's been taught? And the answer was definitively no, because I could see where the shortcomings or where the limitations were with the way it was being taught. And the fact that it was so hyper-masculine, not just because it was being taught primarily by men, but because of the approach to the teaching being so hyper-masculine. Case in point, four-day training to get a practitioner certification. So you're going to sit in a room for four days, freezing your ass off, 
while you have people flooding you, fire hosing you with information that you're trying to learn. And then it's like, goodbye and good luck. And then maybe you can do the extra 30 days to integrate the information, but you're kind of left to your own devices. There's no accountability. There's no one supporting you in that 30-day process post-work. And a lot of people would fall off or get confused or feel like they didn't quite learn everything and have the confidence to use it, even within the context of a four-day training. You know, Then you look at the level two training, and it's 15 days of getting fire hosed with information, 15 days in a row. And then congratulations, you're a master practitioner of NLP, hypnotherapy, and MER. And you're going, I have no idea what just happened to me in the last 15 days. It was cool. I feel transformed. But how on earth am I going to go use this with clients or apply it to my own life? And so very often you'd have people either spinning out or feeling like failures because they couldn't do it well, or they didn't maintain or sustain the transformation that occurred for them. And I would look at that and go, there is a better way. And so my intention is, okay, yes, I think there's something to be said for doing something in a live setting, but it doesn't have to end there. So my approach is, yeah, let's get together for four days, but I'm not going to flood you with information in that four days. I'm going to give you a little information, and then I'm going to take you through an experience, a full body experience. We're going to practice yoga. We're going to go on hikes to integrate what you're learning. We're going to do meditation, right? So that you're really in all centers of intelligence. So not just your head, but you're in your heart and in your body. I'm going to teach you about the Enneagram in those four days so that you can have a better understanding of who you are and how you operate in the world. And then for 12 weeks after, We're going to get into the content in a way that's slow and steady, and you'll have an opportunity to practice with other people. We're going to keep the numbers very small. So it's an intimate group. So you're not in a conference room with a hundred other people. You're in a house with 10, maybe nine other people learning this stuff in a tight knit community where you can support each other. You're a part of a tribe. So in that respect, is it a lot more feminine, soulful, heart-centered? Yes. Again, I'm not saying that there isn't a value in doing a four-day NLP training if you have like 10 people in your organization that you want to get trained in NLP fast just so they have the skill set. Sure, send them to that four-day training call it a day. But if you're somebody who's like, no, I want to learn something in a way where it's really embodied, where I feel like I got it, like it's in my bones, then this is the way to go. And my long-term vision with this is that I'm going to certify coaches, right? So my goal is how can I put coaches in the world who have the skill set to get real results with people? So they have NLP, basic and mastery level NLP. They have the Enneagram to use with their clients. They have modalities like internal family systems and how to work with parts. They can do an add-on and learn about theta healing and energy, but they're armed with all these tools rather than getting a coaching certification where you just learn how to ask a few questions. (laughs) You know, I mean, so many coaches fail because they don't feel confident. They don't know how to put themselves out there in a way that they feel really congruent and confident about what they're doing. I thought, look, I want to do this in a way that's affordable for people because there are people who are spending $15,000, $10,000 on just a coaching certification with no other tools or techniques to back it up. And I was like, how do I create a solution for this? And I think, I think I've created one. 
So Yes, I love that. I love that so much. One thing just to give you kudos. So me and Pega had to do a presentation for a certification course. And I can tell you this, if you enjoy good facilitating energy with clarity, Pega is one to definitely learn from. Because one thing I always remember, great energy, we kind of play off of each other. Like we're really good at understanding the moment, intuition, everything. And we would have a, a assignment or we would give them something work to do together. And I will explain it. And then Pega would come and add the clarifying facts behind it. She'd be like, all right, this is what you're going to do. <laughs> This is very important because naturally as a seven in my mind, I'm thinking, they got it. I gave them the assignment, but Peg like, mm-mm. Let's clarify this, this, and that. And it was actually very important because this came up for me a little while ago where I gave instructions for an assignment and people, they thought they got it. And then we came back. They was like, so why, why, uh, what, do we supposed to do it this way? I was like, oh no, you were supposed to do it this way. So I just give you kudos because that's something that I would say facilitating with you. I know that you provide for students or whoever you're facilitating for. Like you really give clarity, you give care and you have that mother bear instinct too. Like, and that's what, <laughs> that's what's cool about it being that you're doing like a intimate setting where it's a smaller group. You legitimately have mother bear, like I'm going to make sure you get what you need while you're in this program. I am facilitating or teaching. So shout out to you on that. Just wanted to do that. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that so much. I will say Milton is also an amazing facilitator and we're very good together because we do fill in the gaps for each other. And you're actually going to do some guest teaching in this program. So we're going to have Milton stepping in to help teach some of the Enneagram pieces. And, you know, I got to give credit where credit's due when it comes to my facilitation skills. You know, frankly, whatever my opinions might be about this previous company that I used to work for, I did learn how to become a really good trainer because I did their trainer's training and because I facilitated and taught for two years, 150 days out of the year. Now, subsequently, I've gone on and learned some other things. And I've had to do quite a lot of consulting work in organizations. So that's also leveled up my facilitation skills. But you know, I got to give credit where it's due. For some people, sure, they haven't the natural gift of gab. But my facilitation skills, I have because I learned. I mean, I was always a natural teacher. I've been a yoga teacher for 12 years. I facilitated teacher trainings in yoga. But I really learned how to become a good facilitator through that training. You know, and so I don't want people to think like, oh, yeah, I'm just like this, this natural talent. No, it's like years and thousands of hours of practice. And but you are right. Once you are in my circle and you become a client or a student, that mama bear instinct for sure kicks in. And I'm going to make sure you're good and taken care of mentally, emotionally, spiritually while you're under my care, so to speak. Oh, yeah. Love that. Love that. So is there anything else that you want to add or how can people find you and connect with you? Yes. Thank you for asking. So Embodied NLP in and of itself has an Instagram page. So you can follow Embodied NLP. I personally am on Instagram as Pega underscore Kedcodian. So you can follow that feed, which is, you know, my resilient stuff, but it's also a lot of like my personal life because I think it's important for people to know me. I do have a podcast that has two seasons. It's not current, but there's some seasons you can go back and listen to. It's just called Radical Resilience, the podcast, if you're interested in getting to know me better. I do have a YouTube channel. It's just Coach Pega on YouTube. But as far as the Enneagram NLP, Embodied NLP stuff, we do have two upcoming webinars, which you can find on Eventbrite. And I'll make sure Milton has those links in the show notes. But the first one will be on May 31st at 
6 p.m. Central Time. That'll be more specific to NLP. It's called Unwind Anxiety, Five Paradigms for Achieving Peace in a Chaotic World. And then the second one will be Enneagram focused, and that'll be on June 7th, the following Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. And that's going to be really getting a baseline understanding of the Enneagram through the perspective of the three centers of intelligence. So it'll be a lot of really beautiful, rich content. Both of those events are free. If you want to go a little deeper into, you know, an experience of this embodied NLP work, we are doing a half day event on June 10th. And that will be from, I believe, nine in the morning central till noon. So that's a three hour event, nine to noon central on a Friday, June 10th. Uh, Also give Milton that link. That event is $27, but you know, I figure for $27, we're going to give you a full blown mini breakthrough experience. Like you will leave that event absolutely having released some baggage and had a full experience of NLP. And then we are doing this training, which starts with a four day retreat and 12 weeks of training thereafter, which is currently on my website, coachpega.com. If you go to retreats, you'll see the information on the retreat there. And that is July 21st through the 25th. Although we are asking folks to fly in the night before so we can do a welcome reception on that Wednesday. So it's a Thursday through Sunday, but come on in on a Wednesday. It's going to be at a beautiful home on Lake Arrowhead in California. There's a lot of beautiful stuff that we're including with it. We're going to cater lunch every day. Like I said, there'll be yoga, hiking, in addition to all the content and experiential things we're going to go through together. We are not providing accommodations because we figure people can get their own hotels or Airbnbs and flights and things like that. But certainly if you want to attend and you're coming alone and you want to room with somebody, you know, we have all that information on the website as to how you can do that. We're also offering a $500 discount for those who want to come with a friend. So the both of you will each get $500 off the ticket price. So those are all the things, all the things. Yes, love it. I'm going to make sure all of those are in the show notes so that they are clickable links and then definitely where they can find more information about you. Thank you so much for being on. This was really, really insightful and really fun. <laughs> well, we're always going to have fun. That's not a question, right? Yeah, that's true. I want to thank you for doing the work that you're doing in the world. I listen to Do It For The Gram often. I think that it's wonderful to get more diverse voices out there teaching the Enneagram, right? We need that in the Enneagram world. I love that you're on the board of the IEA. So mad props to you for the work you're doing there. And, you know, thank you for having me on and your willingness to put this word out there, this work out there, and then to hop in and help me teach some of this stuff in the program. So I'm thrilled that we're going to be collaborating. Yes, very much so. Awesome, awesome. Thank you all for listening. And if you want to learn a little bit more about this, check out the show notes. And also remember, if you get triggered by something, take a deep breath and try to make a wiser choice and do it for the grammar, Enneagram, of course. And we'll see you on the next episode. Bye.